Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 255 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Squishy Sam, an interview with Samantha Chicano. My name is Jessica Snyder. And I'm Richard Johannesson. How and where we grow up influences our young adult and adult life in many ways, including our health. Our guest today developed a sense of resilience and perseverance as a child growing up in a military family, moving every few years to states from coast to coast, learning more about herself in each place. Her time spent in Virginia was pivotal to her future. It gave her the opportunity to be the only girl on a traditionally all-male sport and excel at it. It also brought her into contact with multiple ticks. Her spirit of resiliency and determination, coupled with a desire to strive for excellence, were put to the test when dealing with multiple tick-borne infections. Today, we will talk with Samantha, and she will share with us how she is financing her treatment through ingenuity and an entrepreneurial spirit. So, hey, Samantha, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> We're really excited to have you as well. And today we actually have a really special event at the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. I've invited one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Jessica Schneider, who does not spell her name the way I customarily spell Schneider, to join us on the podcast. We had a really blessed experience with uh, interviewing Jessica and her daughter and learning about partners in Lyme. And one of the reasons why I invited Jessica to be the co-host today, Samantha, and to folks who are listening to this podcast is because Matt and I want to bring more diversity, not only to the guests that we're inviting to the podcast, but we also want to bring more diversity to the people who are asking questions so that we can have a different kind of conversation. And one of the things that we found to be the most painful in the Lyme disease community over the 250 folks we've interviewed is that um, adolescent onset uh, Lyme disease is a very different experience than adult onset Lyme disease. And unfortunately, we've not seen a lot of children overcome their Lyme disease challenges. And we've actually located a couple of people who have had a great deal of success in helping their families get through these challenges. And there are none better than Jessica Schneider, who has done a wonderful job uh, in working with her beautiful family to uh, deal with a lot of these challenges. So I, I, I want Jessica's perspective on this podcast in particular and, and our podcast generally. I'm hoping Jessica will have a good experience and come back in the future uh, because Sam is somebody who actually has been suffering from Lyme disease since her young childhood. And I really think this is gonna be a really vital and important part of this. So Jessica, can you please uh, say hi to folks before we start uh, going further with uh, Samantha? Of course, good morning. I'm very excited to be here, Samantha. I look forward to getting to know you better and sharing a little bit of our story and hearing your story and learning how we can both together help this community that we have become a part of, um, not by choice, but almost by chance. So I'm excited to be here this morning. Thanks, Jess. And, and yeah, this is the tribe that no one wants to be a part of, but it's, uh, it is a nice place to be once you finally get there. So Samantha, talk to us about where you're calling in from. Where do you currently live? Right now, I'm from Fresno, California, so Central Valley, California. And have you always been a California gal, or was uh, was your move to California a recent event? Um, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, but um, I moved quickly because I was a part of a military family. So we moved like every year to different states and ended up... Uh, when I was older, ended up back here in the Lemoore uh, Naval Base, and that's how we ended up back here in California. So it's been a wild ride. <laughs> so there, there are a lot of upsides and downsides to being an Army brat. And one of the upsides, however, is you get to see a lot of the country. One of the downsides, of course, is that you're moving around a lot, right? So Yeah, exactly. 
So talk to us about um, talk to us about what you're currently working on, Jess. Because um, Jessica, I'm sorry, I'm mixing up my my two uh, two folks today. So it's Sam, I'm sorry. Talk you're to fine. us about some of the things that you're working on now. And one of the things I'd like you to highlight, just sort of right now, is that um, that I was on, actually on your website, and I, I'm really excited to introduce to our community <laughs> the Squishy Sam uh, website. Talk to us about your website and when you uh, when you started the website and what the vision is for your site. So I've actually been working on my website for over like a year now, just uh, trying to edit in and perfect it as much as I can. But um, I basically just came out with my own line of merchandise, chronic illness, warrior merchandise. Um, am I allowed to cuss on the podcast? You are. <laughs> okay. The fuck lime uh, merchandise and then my personal merchandise. And really the whole point of it is of course, you know, to start for, so I can have uh, funds for my own treatments that obviously cost all out of pocket. And then uh, my warrior and the chronic illness merchandise is basically just to be able to, well, there's two things to be able to collect some of that money and redonate, redonate to other warriors. Cause there's so many people that have Lyme disease and don't even know they have Lyme disease and they can't afford testing. They can't afford even trying to get into treatment or finding even out if they have Lyme. So, uh, to be able to help people like that. And, um, also just the fact of the chronic illness warrior thing, just to bring together, like all, not just Lyme, but like all chronic illness warriors together, just to, to know that they're not alone, just even if it's just one piece of clothing to know they have me or someone else or anyone else dealing with chronic pain or chronic fatigue, whatever it may be, and know that they're not alone. So that's my main thing with uh, the merchandise. And it's one, one, one of many things I have an idea for just starting them. <laughs> so, you know, Sam, every superhero has to put on, uh, put on their cape, right? And uh, the, the cape that I have is actually a hat that my children bought me for Father's Day two years ago, which says Tick Boot Camp on it. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really cool about your site is you're actually selling superhero merchandise, where if somebody needs a cape, they can come to your site and they can buy their cape and they can get into that mindset and that place that they need to, to go through yeah. this challenge. So talk to us about that vision for giving folks an opportunity to buy the cape and the uniform they need to go on their healing journey? Uh, yeah, basically, I just want to give people the strength to, again, to know that they're not alone and to be able to, I don't like fight every single day. And um, there's been a few people that have actually like gone through the process of trying to find out what's going on. You know, I feel like crap all the time. What's going on with me? And um, sorry, it's a brain fog, of course. It's going to happen so many times, but... Um, yeah, uh, just basically, because it's it's really it's really easy to give up, and especially just going through treatment, and even myself, it's so easy to give up. But again, hopefully that they can put on the cape and feel like a superhero and be able to go out and say, you know, okay, I am a warrior. This is something that I stand for, and this is something I fight for that is unique about me. You know, no one else is doing this. Well, of course, there's other people like doing this, but this is my journey, and this is what I represent. So. Again, that's just, it's really just to let people know that they're, they're not alone. So you're going to see Jessica and I are going to talk to you about this separately uh, because we, we, we actually both admire you for different reasons. One of the things you and I have in common is I really appreciate resourcefulness, right? Because one of the things I've learned through the 250 podcasts that we've done is that the folks who are successful on their Lyme journey are people who are resourceful. And although this is an expensive journey and, they, and you have to find ways of making sure that you can make, you can, you can bridge the gap between 
where you are and where you want to be. One of the ways you can do that is by starting your own business. But another way you can do that is by working with good folks like Jessica and partners in crime because they're trying to help people bridge that gap. So you, you actually are speaking to both of our hearts with by, by creating this, uh, this really cool business that you started and this really cool website, which we're going to do everything we can to try to help promote you on that. So let's, let's now build out your background. We need to learn more about you and where you came from. So you're an army brat. You were bouncing from place to place. You grew up in, you were born in California. So talk to us about how long you were in California and talk to us about what it was like to bounce around from uh, place to place and the upsides and downsides to doing that. Uh, yeah. So um, living in California wasn't long. I was so young. So all I really remember is uh, traveling around and um, it's just, uh, it's just a crazy experience because, um, you know, people expect a lot, like, you know, I get to see all these crazy places, but again, being, um, part of the military family, it's usually you just go, go, go. And, um, um, was, so, so, so Sam, but let's so talk about some of the places you've lived in, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I there's, there's a seminal point we have to get to, which is Virginia, but I don't want to get there first. Get, give us, give us a background of like some of the places you've gone to and what it was like to go to school and having to change schools and change friends as frequently as you, as you did during your childhood. Yeah. So I've moved to uh, Vegas, Las Vegas, and I've moved to Pensacola, Florida, moved to Jacksonville, Florida, then ended up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and then back to California. And um, yeah, I was always a new kid. I never uh, stayed at one school for like a full school year. I was always um, coming in in the middle of, you know, a semester or uh, always a new kid. And it was it was a struggle, but again, it was just something I was so used to. I was used to not really like making new friends. I'm used to being quiet. I'm used to like, kind of like being a fly on the wall and just kind of doing my homework until I moved to another school. So it was nothing like to me, it was just my life. I didn't see it as anything else in that, but yeah, that, that was the journey for with in the military and traveling a lot. So and, and as part of that experience, you you did, Sam, learn how to become resourceful, right? You learned how to adjust to new environments. You learned yeah. how to make the kinds of changes that were necessary for you to be successful, right? Yeah, I had to. <laughs> so talk to us about what kinds of classes you were taking at the various places you were taking. What kind of subjects interest you the most? Um, growing up, science always interested me, always interested me the most. Um astronomy, uh, biology, especially that always drew me in. And that's why, you know, growing up, I wanted to get involved in the medical field. I originally wanted to be an ultrasound tech or do something that was involved in the medical field. Um, cause I was always just interested in science. I just didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and again, that's where it comes to where Lyme kind of changed everything in my past. <laughs> Oh, we're going to get there. I promise. So, so let's, let's talk about the different, um, different activities you participated in, because I think one of the things that's really unique about your story that I'd like you to share with our folks is that you are a wrestler, a female wrestler. Yes. So um, as soon as I moved back to California and I started high school, that's when I went to my new school and it was really just so random. I had never even played a sport before. I had never heard of wrestling before. I had didn't watch sports. Um, it was just a announcement on school one day. Does anyone want to join wrestling? It's in class, whatever. I said, you know what? Um, like I had no friends. I had nothing. So I was like, what, 
what's what what am I losing by trying to sign up? I go to sign up. I'm the only chick there. And that all the guys and the coaches are looking at me like, why are you here? And so I just sign up anyway. And yeah, that really uh, flipped my life around as well, because that's when I started wrestling and um, especially having male coaches, they actually admitted me admitted to me later that they tried to work me so hard that I would quit being a girl. They would think that I would just quit. And so they would work me so hard, so hard at practice and, um, trying to force me to quit because they didn't want a girl on the team but I never quit so I did my four years in high school and then I did another semester in college because I really wanted I basically went to college to wrestle because I wanted to have that experience and uh yeah uh, wrestling is really one of the main reasons why I'm so resilient now because I mean it's not just the uh, physical pain but to be able to get past the emotional pain of wanting to stop or wanting to quit uh, it, it's what kept me to keep going. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Sam, it seems it seems like anytime somebody builds a ceiling above you, you're going to get the hammer and you're going to break that glass ceiling and you're oh, going to yeah. find your way through that, right? <laughs> so that 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 resourcefulness that we talked about is something that was sort of like built into you, even though you went from school to school and you were always a new kid and you had to learn how to fit in and you you then then joined a sport uh, after not really being particularly athletic and you they tried to work you out of it and you just kept fighting through and 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 showing the resourcefulness that were that was necessary for you to be successful, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so talk to us about what you were studying in college, because I understand that you were pursuing the sciences and you wanted to become a kinesiologist. What was the, what was the reason for your, for your pursuit of kinesiology? I wanted to do that basically just to get myself involved in like sports medicine and start going that line. Cause I originally wanted to be a wrestling coach, whether it was for like high school coaching or um, just even kid coaching, college coaching, whatever it may be. I wanted to be also involved as a coach. I thought I was going to be able to do everything, be involved in the medical field, as well as, you know, trying to be a wrestling coach on the side after work or something like that. So I had pretty busy plans for myself. So now let's talk about um, your health. Now let's talk about when you first started to have to deal with the symptoms that you now know to be your Lyme disease symptoms. When did they first surface? Um, so I first got my first got my symptoms when I was 12. And that's when I was originally bitten in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And um, um, I'll go ahead and talk about it now. But in Virginia Beach, Virginia, it's crazy because ticks are so normal over there. People get ticks all the time. Like it's almost like getting bit by a mosquito. It's just like get off me. I'm fine. Okay, continue with the day. Um, again, being new military family I never even knew like what a tick was um there's new bugs in every state every state is so different so I just thought it was something that was normal there especially because everyone else is acting like it's normal and um what was the question again <laughs> so, no, I, I mean you're, you're, you're answering the question properly right I mean part of what part of what made me um anxious about your childhood oh journey right <laughs> is that you're bouncing from place to place, right? So one of the things you had to do is you ha had to learn how to adjust socially. Another thing you had to do is you had to learn how to adjust educationally, but now you had to, you had to adjust environmentally. And my question is, did anybody prepare you for these environmental changes that you faced when you moved, for example, from California to Florida or from Florida to Virginia? I mean, you were bouncing around and obviously in, in California, you didn't see 
alligators, but when you went to Florida, you would see alligators, right? When you left Florida and you went to Virginia, you didn't see alligators anymore, but now you were seeing ticks, right? So you're going to these different environments where there are different dangers that you're facing as a child. And I'm wondering whether or not either the army or the educational systems that you were, you were, you were gaining your education, was anybody preparing you to keep yourself safe from these different environmental threats? Yeah, I'm actually surprised. And it's kind of another thing growing up as a kid. It's just uh, something that when you're faced with something new and you're a kid and you have no idea, you kind of just accept it as something normal. But yeah, no one. Um, I'm surprised there's no one in the military that uh, informed us of any environmental changes. My parents, they didn't really give too much concern. Again, they're like life was hectic. They're trying to worry about moving and this and that. And of course, like when I'm in school and getting my education, there's not really anything about like environmental issues or things around that certain state as well. So obviously that is uh, an issue, but um, yeah. Talk to us about what it was like when you got bitten by that tick and, and how did that tick bite begin to affect your health? Yeah. So that's what I was getting to. Again, my brain will, will drop a million times, but um, yeah. So it was so normal to have ticks over there. And basically I would walk home from school and on that walk, you know, through the grass, through next to trees and stuff brushing on me, I would come home, take a shower and there'd be ticks in my armpits, like just on my stomach and especially under my boobs, like they hide anywhere and everywhere. And it would be so disgusting to me. I wouldn't usually just pick them off. But um, in particularly, there was some that were stuck. And that's when I needed my parents' help because I couldn't get them get them out at all. So I was like, um, there's an issue. <laughs> and it was kind of embarrassing for me because it was in an awkward spot. And so I was like, uh, I need help. And my parents, obviously, like no one's really educated online. No one, it's not on the news or anything. So they didn't really know what to do either. They didn't really like research it or anything. They weren't too worried because I wasn't like, you know, seizing or having anything after the, the tick bite. They, other people think, you know, you get a tick bite. If you have an immediate reaction, that's when you're supposed to worry. But um, they basically took it out the whole wrong way. They got a hot needle, lit it on fire, <laughs> lit the needle on fire and just poked at the tick and tried to, um, you know, peel it off. And by then I was so scared because I was like, all I knew at that point was uh, I heard rumors that if the tick put its head inside of your skin, that's when you got sick. But that was the only way you got sick. And I remember I looked at the ticks on my body and their heads were gone. And I was like, oh my God, are their heads floating in my body? What's going on? I don't know. And then um, the week after I showed no signs of the flu, no runny nose, no fever, no anything. So I was like, okay, now, I'm now, Sam, let me ask you, let me ask you to pause there for a second. <laughs> were you looking for any symptoms? Meaning after you suffered the tick bites, um, did you go to the doctor and, or did your parents do any research that, that suggested that you should be looking for rashes and you should be looking for, you know, changes in your, in, in the way you're feeling or, or are you just like remembering back that none of those things happened? Yeah, none of that happened because my parents, again, they were not concerned. They're kind of more uh, dismissive in the fact that, you know, they've heard of Lyme disease before and people that kind of know about Lyme disease, but don't fully know, think they know everything. So they thought, you know, oh, you know, if anything, you might get the flu and it'll go away and that's it. 
but if you don't show symptoms and you're fine. So they weren't too concerned. And the fact that my parents weren't concerned, I wasn't concerned really. I had just heard the thing about the head around uh, from being at school and stuff. And that was about it. Um, so talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. What, so what was the, you know, we, we call it like bro science or sister science. What was the sort of information that you were getting from your peers about ticks, right? They're all getting bitten too. And so you, you said the, the one sort of piece of information you had was if the head is inside of you, you could get sick. So you thought perhaps the head was floating around in your body. So, all right, that's uh, so we know that was, that was not true, but what other, what other yeah. kinds of, um, you know, uh, information were you getting about ticks from your, from your friends at school? Um, well, yeah, it was hard because I definitely didn't have any friends, but I did hear stuff around. And, um, I also heard the fact that if you did get sick, it was just a, like a one week or two week flu. And then afterwards it's done, it's cured, it's gone. And again, I was only 12, so I didn't, uh, look into it too much. Again, no one really batted an eye about it at all. So I just thought it was a, I literally this whole time, that's honestly why I dismissed Lyme as my own diagnosis. So I was bitten by ticks. I like could have seen a doctor and known about Lyme disease so easily, but me, myself, even me and my parents and everybody just dismissed it because of just thinking that of or hearing about it that it's just a flu or I mean even if you look on Google it they are completely dismissive about it so they make it seem like it's really nothing to be worried about when indeed it is but I did end up having symptoms um afterwards if we want to go into that yeah so talk to us talk to us about when when the symptoms developed after the tick bite and what those symptoms were yeah, so I actually had to go back on my story and realize that symptoms started showing a lot earlier than I thought. It's just a lot of the symptoms we dismiss because we think it's just a normal part of life. And especially I was 12 going on 13. So all the teenager stuff, you know, I'm going to my parents saying, hey, this is symptoms weird. Um, and they're saying, oh, that's just a normal part of being a teenager, which would be things like the chronic fatigue. I instantly started getting so tired. I would start sleeping in till two to 3 PM. And that was never like me. And I asked my parents, why am I getting so tired? And they said, oh, well, you're a teenager. You're going to be sleeping all the time. That's what teenagers do. And, uh, one of the first symptoms I definitely noticed looking back is that I had actually gotten sleep paralysis. Uh, about a week after the tick bite. And that was my very first symptom. Um, I was just completely paralyzed in my sleep. It was super scary. And I feel like that was the initial time that I did get infected. And after that, it was just downhill. I just got with the chronic fatigue. I started having mainly a lot of uh, gastro gut issues. So then I moved to California and it got worse, started having kidney stones, uh, gastric ulcers, visits to the hospitals, emergency trips, always at like three in the morning. And um, so Sam, let's, let's pause that for a second. Mm -hmm. I, I want to explore the, the time in Virginia with you in a little more detail. Mm -hmm. So yep. the first thing that I'd like you to um, share with us is approximately how many different times were you bitten by ticks that you can recall during that time when you were living in Virginia? I would say at least 10, if I can remember at least 10. And that's just the ones I can remember. <laughs> so now you were, you were beginning to develop symptoms. And, uh, but of course you were going through that window that I, you know, that I describe, um, I'm, I have four daughters 
And that 12 to 16 year old window was the window which made me never want to come home and, and live at work because there were all kinds of hormonal changes happening. And my really sweet daughters became different people. And the people who were always really nice to me weren't always so nice to me. And, you know, there was a really difficult window. So were you going through those kinds of changes in your life in that 12 to 16 year window where your hormonal changes were happening and you were starting to, you know, behave just differently because you were just growing up? And how much of what was really your Lyme disease symptoms were being written off by your parents and other people as just you going through those changes that young women go through when, they, when they're in that window? Um, honestly, I think, honestly, it's hard for me to even tell everything apart because at, at that time, I pretty much think um, all my symptoms were due to Lyme and not really to just, you know, being a teenager. The only thing you know, being a teenagers, I had a little bit, you know, more of an attitude, a little bit more of trying to think for myself, but, um, that's about it. Cause everything else I definitely would say is to Lyme because nothing else should be taken normally. Like all the, um, chronic acne just started getting bad. I know like acne and hormonal changes are really bad, but it's also a sign of chronic illness as well. And there's just a lot of different signs that just get so easily dismissed, but now, when, when you were going through those, those changes, both in emotional and physical changes that were happening at that, at that time, um, did your parents ever take you to a doctor or did you ask to go to, a, to uh, see a healthcare professional? Yeah. So when I moved back to California, I started getting uh, weird symptoms as well, like uh, extreme. My lymph nodes started blowing up like balloons. And that should have, of course, been a first sign because that was about a year after my initial bite. But um, again, my doctor never asked me about tick bites. I don't think my parents or me ever brought it up because we never thought anything about it. Um, but I had a huge lymph node in the middle of my chest that had to be removed by this doctor. And that's where the journey started with this doctor. And it was just downhill from there. So let's hold on there for another second. I want, I want to go back yeah. to Virginia because Virginia, you're having these symptoms, yeah. right? And, and your parents are kind of dismissing them as, as part of you going through the, you know, the life cycle changes that you're going through. Um, so one of the things that we we've heard from some of the folks we've interviewed in the past is sometimes they complain to their parents about the way they're feeling and their parents will take them to doctors. Sometimes when they're not getting the kinds of care that they need or the kind of attention that their parents are, are, are really should be listening to, they'll, they'll reach out to teachers and school nurses to try to get their own care when their parents are for some reason not um, taking them seriously. Did, you, did any of that, uh, was any of that a part of your journey where you're reaching out to teachers or school nurses and telling them when you were in Virginia, you weren't feeling well and, uh, and you were looking for your own help that you weren't getting otherwise? Um, I may have did that once in high school, but honestly, at the time, like say in Virginia, when I first got infected, I, and I mean, I, this is the biggest problem of all is that I dismissed myself more than probably anybody else. Cause I saw, you know, my parents didn't care. No one else saw that I was sick. And again, I could just easily dismiss most of my symptoms as I'm just a teenager. I'm fine. And you know, again, the fact of your own family is dismissing you and, you know, doctors dismissing you, you think, okay, maybe I'm just the crazy one, you know, I'm fine. So, um, yeah, I think that was. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and you answered it brilliantly, right? Because one of the things we, 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 we do when we're, when we're going through a self-assessment is we're also looking for outside affirmation, right? So if we're feeling something and we're not really sure who we're feeling, 
sometimes we'll look to people who we have intimate relationships with, like our parents, right? And we'll ask our parents um, to help us to evaluate that. And when, and when our parents are dismissing us, that causes us to have more doubt about whether or not we're really feeling what we're feeling. Sometimes we reach out to external people who are not, we're not in an intimate relationship with, but they are people that, we, that we're looking again to compare how we're feeling to what they think we may be feeling, such as a teacher or a nurse or a friend. And although we don't value their opinions the same way we would value parents or siblings, we value their opinions. And when they dismiss us again, it puts us in a position where it causes us to have more self-doubt, right? So you went through this yeah. process of trying to compare how you feel to how maybe you should be feeling and you're asking people you have intimate relationships with and more external relationships with, and they're now dismissing you, right? So you're now, your, your own mind is causing you to dismiss it yourself. And you're now going forward with living your life as best you can, right? Yeah, and I think the problem is the fact that, again, I just didn't even reach out for any help or really ask anyone for the longest, just again, dismissing myself on my own. And then again, when I did reach out, getting dismissed, it took even longer to accept the fact, okay, I'm sick. Okay. Something's going on. So especially the fact that I was scared or worried or didn't think anyone would care. So I didn't ask for help. That's one part that took so long. And then of course, when starting the journey of, Hey, I do need a little bit of help. Cause again, it's, it's, it is hard for some people to even ask or be open to anybody else about their struggles. You know, some people just want to act like, their lives are perfect and everything is fine and we're okay. And um, again, that's what took so long and even finding my diagnosis and getting on proper treatment and the fact of being dismissed by uh, your loved ones when you do try to reach out for help, it takes even, even longer. Cause again, you think that, Hey, maybe I'm crazy this whole time. Well, there's another piece of this, Sam, and that is that we also have this suck it up culture, right? Where yeah. telling you to <laughs> suck it up, tough it out. You know, yeah. and, and, and essentially what they're saying to you is ignore your symptoms, right? Yeah. So talk to us about how the, the, the sort of suck it up culture that um, that you are living in and then ultimately finding yourself in as a wrestler may have delayed your your diagnosis. Yeah. And that's the crazy part is being a wrestler. I feel like both helped and delayed things because um, it helped in a sense that doing such extreme exercise and detoxing every day and sweating and doing all that stuff I would I almost looked like I wasn't sick no one would believe I was sick at all because you know I was able to wrestle the guys I was able to do extreme exercises and do more than what the guys could and um, in a sense it wasn't even the fact that I wasn't sick it was just a mentality of I can do this and I can and not knowing I'm sick you know I'm I can do this and um um I was thinking something else. Oh my gosh, my brain is having such a hard time today. So let me let me ask you another question. You're doing very well. Your, your brain is not <laughs> your brain is not causing you to have any, any challenges. Like long thoughts, and then all of a sudden it cuts like in half, and I'm like, "That's okay." Well, really, what that is is that's your brain telling you it's time for Rich to ask another question, and I'm happy yeah. to ask another question. So let's 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 talk about that, right? So let's talk about the role that exercise is playing in your life at that point, right? You're, you're engaging in extreme exercise. And what's making me a little anxious about you having engaged in that extreme exercise is sometimes extreme exercise can be immunosuppressive, right? It, it is important to engage in exercise. It is important to engage in activities that will engage, uh, will, will assist you with detoxing, but you are doing more than that, right? You're, yeah. you, you are, you're, you were extreme in the way you were exercising. You were in a combat sport. You're yeah. a woman wrestling with men. 
Talk about what you think that all did to you first physically, and then I want to talk to you about the emotional impact. Uh, for Okay, so I know definitely emotional is so much. Uh, physically, I, because you had a point. Give me one second. All right, so, so Samantha, let's, let's, let's talk about when you finally got, you finally had your crash, and, and Justin's going to take you through that piece of it, but you, you, had, you, had, you had crashed at 23, right? That's when you finally got your diagnosis, right? You were unable to go to school. You were unable to go to work. You, I mean, you had a crash, right? Yeah. So, Talk to us about, and, and you were wrestling all the way up until you, close to that point, right? So talk to us about, you know, how you think maybe wrestling helped you to stay healthy and helped you to battle all the things that were going on in your body. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the bacteria you were managing that were not necessarily tick, uh, tick um, bacteria, the tick diseases. Um, but how, why do you think that your body was able to manage all of this? Despite getting bitten when you were 12 and 13 years old, and you didn't crash until you were 23. I think honestly, my immune system was on probably overdrive while I was young for so, so long. And then it being such on overdrive and then again, doing wrestling. And again, like you said, it can be uh, immunosuppressant. So again, at the age of, I think it was 21 or 22 is when I found out I had an autoimmune disease or I had developed autoimmunity. And that's when I really had to, like, I stopped coaching. I stopped exercising and, um, um, and just let me ask you about something else, because you, you were also, you were also at that time, you also discovered that you were managing another bacteria. So can you talk to us about, uh, the H pylori that I pronounced that correctly, that you were, you were dealing with at that time as well. So actually that's what led me to my Lyme diagnosis is being originally diagnosed with the autoimmunity. And then they found H pylori. And, um, once they found the H pylori, it, it is a stomach bacterial infection, a leading cause for stomach cancer and stomach gastric ulcers. And, um, once I found that, I just, that was probably my first answer I had ever gotten. Like every, every test I've ever taken came out normal. Every, my doctor, you're beautiful. You're normal. There's nothing wrong with you. So that was the first time I ever gotten a test that said something's wrong. And to me, I was like, Oh my God, finally, like I've been sick or feeling like crap for so long. This is some kind of an answer. So I took it and I ran with it and I just did nonstop research. I'm figuring out does H pylori cause autoimmunity? Does autoimmunity cause H pylori? What's going on? How does this make sense? So I had to make it make sense for myself. And that's what led me down to figuring out about bacterial infections and pathogens and how they affect us. And then again, um, I just went back. I kept going back on the Lyme disease diagnosis again and again and again. And I kept dismissing myself because I, to me, it's either one of two things. It's either a quick flu that you're supposed to get the first two weeks when you're infected, or I saw other people dealing with it who would get bitten by a tick and they're paralyzed or they're in a wheelchair or they had to be hospitalized. And I'm like, that wouldn't explain my 13 years of gut issues of randomly throwing up or like having hospital visits. I mean, to me, it didn't make sense because I thought with a certain illness, you had to have exactly symptom for symptom. And my symptoms seem like more like fibromyalgia than it did like Lyme disease on the way they set it up, like looking online and stuff. So, um, yeah, but I think wrestling both did, you know, good and bad, but yeah, it, it, it contributes to the fact that I was able to keep up and 
exercise and keep up with my body and feel normal. But again, at the same time, I feel like it also is the reason why I crash so hard where my body is like just giving up, like I've had enough. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's build up to that crash. Let's talk about all the different pieces of that. And then Jessica is going to take you, take you from the crash forward. So, cause I, you're like, I, 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 I'm a dad here watching this you know, this young woman going down the tracks and about to run into the wall. And I'm just like, I'm wincing as, as you're, as you're, you're describing it. Right. Because let, let, let's first talk about the, the H pylori. So is, is that's a bacterial um, uh, bacterial infection that was affecting your gut. And for how long a period of time do you believe that that, um, that disease was, was, or that bacteria was affecting your health? Um, I honestly believe I got it from tick. I really do. I think that there is a lot of pathogens and a lot of bacterial infections that aren't known and necessarily known for Lyme disease yet. I mean, there's like, you know, the big, you know, 4-1 Babesia, Bartonella and stuff like that. But knowing ticks and knowing like they could transfer so many different pathogens that we probably don't even know or have names for yet. So I honestly believe that I had gotten it from tick because those are my only major issues going on after the bite was all my gastro issues. And I know I traveled a lot, but I I was always, you know, healthy. That's one thing my mom, she always kept me very clean, uh, clean eating and always clean. So I know it wasn't from, it, it just makes more sense than the fact I know that it came probably from it. So just, um, Jessica, I, one of the things that um, we've talked about, and, and I'd like to sort of get your thoughts on this, Jessica, is, is that, you know, a, a tick could harbor up to 200 different uh, bacteria, viruses, and protozoa, right? And, and, and you're right, Samantha, there are only um, a small number that we test for and the s small number that we're, we're aware of. So Jessica, what are, what are your thoughts about, um, about um, all of these other possible pathogens that were being spit into uh, Samantha and, and, and perhaps even your daughter and, and the impact that that has on the health of someone who cannot have these different pathogens tested for. Yeah, I, there's so much in your story that I see in our story, different of course, but so many overlapping similarities. Yeah. And the first thing I just have to say is how incredible, incredibly strong you are to have persevered through this journey of being yeah. like, there's like dual parts of you. One is this athlete, this incredibly achieving athlete, but also a, a young child who's not feeling well, who's able to overcome that on a daily basis while maintaining such a level of achievement. And that's not easy. Anyone who has seen someone struggle with these diseases knows how challenging that is. So I have to just commend you for being able to do that and to do it. I want to ask you just some questions about how your mental state was, like, how were you able to do that? What was it like? But um, to answer Rich's question, you know, the different pathogens, when you were seeing all these different doctors, did any of them run blood work that would have covered a wide array of different pathogens in your body? No. And that's what surprises me. I can look back at all my medical records now and all my testing online. And there's not a single doctor that tested for anything except the regular CBC, a complete blood test. And when I finally, uh, 
found another doctor and I demanded, Hey, I needed, he was on the verge of retirement. So he pretty much did whatever I said. If I asked for a Lyme test, he gave me a Lyme test, but basically it came down to, I had to do my own research and ask this doctor, Hey, can you test me for this? And he was like, okay, whatever. And then I'd basically read my own testing and figure out what's going on. But uh, yeah, it's amazing to me looking back at the doctors, they do the same like three tests and they don't test for anything like microbiology or pathogenic or parasitic. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) And so how were you treated with the multiple ER visits, you know, when things would flare up and you weren't able to tolerate either the pain or the symptoms that you were experiencing and you went to the ER, you know, what was that experience like? Because I know for a lot of parents, they're almost hesitant to bring their child to the ER because of the way you may be taken seriously, or you may be completely dismissed. So was there any avenue through emergency medicine that gave you any clues or indications of what might be going on? Um, it wasn't until a lot later. Um, because yeah, uh, it's funny because my family, uh, my mom was being Hispanic. It's funny because every single time I had to go to the hospital or something, she would be hesitant, not because of everything else, but just thinking that I might be faking it or trying to have an excuse, you know, like, oh, why, why are you throwing up? Have you been drinking? Why am I going to take you to the emergency room? And then I would go to the emergency room and they would find out, you know, it's kidney stones or something else like that. But every other time I I went to the emergency room so many times and every other time they would just, as I got older, they just started dismissing it, dismissing me so much. They're like, you're too young. You look fine. Um, I would go home or they would diagnose me with like a syndrome or something like that. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I finally got a, a female emergency doctor and she was able to finally actually just look at my blood test because no one even just takes a look at my blood test. They just look at me and think I'm fine. Uh, But she actually looked at my blood test and noticed that my white blood cells are extremely high. They've been high for ever since I've been 13. They've literally never gone down the normal range since I've been 13. And she saw that and said, "Uh, something's going on. You might have cancer. You need to see a cancer specialist immediately. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Like that's after my autoimmunity. I had no idea. I go to the cancer specialist after the hospital visit and they just, uh, again, they just test me for one thing, dismiss me. And uh, that's when I was like, okay, like no one's going to help me. I could have cancer and they don't care. Nobody cares. I need to do something. And that's when I researched and I found out about Lyme disease and the corruption about it, and then watched under our skin and couldn't believe it. And then that's when I started seeing integrative doctors and paying out of pocket and so on. <laughs> so yes. it's been crazy. So I read in your bio that you switched doctors and I highlighted that because that's what happened in our story. We had yeah. got tired of just seeing doctors that were doing the same thing. We're looking in their own specific area. And when the criteria didn't meet up with what their area was, they didn't know what to do with us. So I took my daughter to a random doctor that didn't know us and asked him to run some tests. And he tagged a Lyme test onto a physical. And so what led you to this naturopathic doctor that ultimately diagnosed you? Um, I started originally, once I found out about my Lyme diagnosis, I started joining Facebook groups on Lyme disease 
like crazy just to find out, you know, is this real? What's going on? Or who can I see just to learn more? And that is when I joined a couple of California Lyme groups and I asked who would they suggest? And there was a certain name that kept coming up again and again. And there was great reviews on this doctor. So, and it was all also only two hours away from me. So I was like, okay, that's awesome. And then that's when I started my journey with finding this uh, naturopathic doctor. And are you still receiving treatment under that care of that doctor? Yeah, I'm still under the care of that doctor. I've also seen a couple other like holistic doctors as well. So it's been going good so far, at least a year into treatment now. Sure. Okay. And does this doctor accept any insurance? Um, yeah, it, it's weird because obviously I have to pay out of pocket for the appointments, but my insurance actually works, uh, well, it's under my parents' insurance, but because of course with the military, it's actually somewhat decent insurance, but this year is like my last year to be on it. But, um, yeah, basically it's able to cover like some of my medications. I still have to pay some, a little bit for my medications, but for the fact I don't have to pay full out of pocket for like antibiotics and antivirals and stuff, just partial price. So at least there's that. Cause I know some people have to pay like a couple hundred just for like vitamin D or like an antibiotic or something, which is crazy. Now that's the blessing because I, people don't realize how expensive treatment is. So not only sometimes are you paying for the naturopathic doctors, you're paying for the hygienics or whatever lab that you use to get that definitive diagnosis. And I understand you used hygienics testing. Yeah, I use hygienics. And unfortunately, I still cannot pass the Lyme test. Um, for some reason, like my numbers, if I put all my Lyme tests together, like my CDC one, and then my hygienics one, I would be positive because each time I test different bands come up. So I can never get my blood or my body to be at that right point to say, hey, you have all the bands for Lyme disease. So it's just kind of hard to pass the Lyme test. But at least it did let me know about uh, Bartonella and Babesia as well, though. Right. And I know that, you know, there is in the community, people have started referring to Lyme as Lyme plus or actually backing away from calling it Lyme because tick, it should be tick-borne disease. You know, you yeah. have a tick-borne disease. And unfortunately, as in my own daughter's case, she didn't meet all the criteria either, but yet mm-hmm. had the symptoms. So you can make a clinical diagnosis and you can treat according to the symptoms, but you need to find yeah. a practitioner who you feel comfortable with and is willing to do that. And ultimately that you can afford. And so, you know, how has it been with you being able to afford your treatment? Have you outsourced any grants or have you looked to any nonprofits or foundations to assist you in that? Yeah. So I've actually, um, received two grants, which has been amazing. I received the, uh, limelight grant and also the lime fight foundation grant. And that's honestly the only reason I've been able to go through treatment so far, because already, I mean, life itself was so hectic, like just facing just the normal struggles of trying to make it out here just as a young adult. And, uh, you know, I haven't worked in a long time, so it's just been a struggle. So I'm very thankful that I was able to get those grants and, um, yeah, that's the reason why I'm going through treatment right now. So I am very thankful. (laughs) And what did that allow you to do? So what was your first course of treatment? Like, how did you start once you got that diagnosis and you may have felt a sense of relief, like, okay, now I'm getting some answers, but now you have to put a treatment plan together with your doctor and what kind of launched you into beginning treatment? 
Um, yeah. So at first I had a whole nother doctor that I was with for, um, my kind of pre-treatment for, uh, before IGNX. And then I saw this doctor, but the first doctor, uh, she actually had resigned last minute because again, the whole, um, Lyme disease and trying to treat in Lyme disease is overwhelming for a lot of people. And, um, um, damn, what was I getting to? what your treatment was. So like, what did you do the docs? Oh yeah. Detoxing and stuff like that. And then when I saw this naturopathic doctor, which he's actually a lot more uh, conventional sided. So immediately he wanted to start me on antibiotics. He wanted to start me on doxycycline, on Zitromax, on rifampin, uh, on ivermectin, on mepron, on so many things that we're uh, still kind of going through. And uh, he kind of just wants to defeat the main Babesia, Bartonella, and Borrelia and try to defeat that uh, before trying to address uh, any other co-infections that could be underlining. And how has your body responded to that treatment with all the other gut issues that you've had going on? Has it been something that is beneficial so far? Um, actually my gut issues stopped when I treated H pylori with the antibiotic chlorithromycin. Um, I was so surprised because just a short course of that, uh, completely made my gut issues go away. Um, but since treatment, um, honestly, it's hard because even my doctor expects me to feel something like whether it's herxing or whether it's something positive, but honestly, I haven't felt anything. I feel like I'm a brick or I'm at, at, I'm a wall or something that I can't get affected by anything. So I've tried. The only thing that really did affect me was doxycycline. I was so nauseous, couldn't eat anything, but that goes for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, for everything, I haven't seen really a negative or positive effect, but I already know that going through this treatment, I'm not doing everything like perfect by the book, how I would do it if I were to do it perfectly with like all the money in the world and all the time and all the resources in the world. I would do it probably all over again and all differently. I would, you know, do important things like drainage and detoxing and lymph support and immune support before going into antibiotics and stuff like that, because um, that's where a lot of people get at a standstill as they go straight into the treatment but again, the bacteria have biofilm that need to be broken down. Your lymphs could not transfer the pathogens into your detoxing. Um, you could have mold illness to stop everything from healing. It's so many different aspects that go into Lyme besides just treating with, you know, antibiotics. So I know right now I'm not doing everything perfect how I want to, but I'm kind of just doing what I need to, to kind of get by right now until I'm hopefully soon in a better place to be able to go full on with trying to get my health right, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important to realize that everyone gets this disease. There are celebrities that have come out and said, I've had this disease or I'm battling this disease. And because okay. it's such a unique response, everybody responds to this disease differently. There is no quote unquote, perfect way to treat it. And so, yes, we can all look back and say, if I had known what I know now, then I may have yeah. done this differently, but that doesn't guarantee even that you would have had the response that you would hope to have had. Mm -hmm. So I always like to say that we do the best we can now with what we know now and yeah. move forward in that. And there's, there's some peace in that because otherwise you're just carrying around this burden of, oh, I wish I had done things differently, but I really believe that 
things kind of happen in the way that they're supposed to. And so, you know, I hope that as you go forward in this, you know, you can just say, I'm doing what I can do right now because this is what my body needs right now. And hopefully that your body will have a great response to it and healing will continue to happen. But I think that's something that in the chronic illness community, we have to take that off our shoulders and say, it's not, it's not for us to say, if I had, if I had a million dollars, you know, you still may get better, but you still may not, you just don't know. So it's a blessing that you have had these resources to help you move forward in healing. And so, you know, are you using them in a way to build in other kind of modalities like sauna treatments or, you know, um, detox foot baths? Are you using it to kind of complement your traditional approach with the antibiotics and the, you know, the, yeah. Once I got my second grant, I was able, I wanted to definitely try uh, different treatments. I still want to basically try different treatments until I kind of feel something. And that's also what uh, a lot of my blogs are about is to go through uh, different treatment methods. But yeah, I've actually tried after the antibiotic treatment, I tried Rife treatment along with ionic foot detoxes with another doctor that's close by. And um, honestly, I just didn't give that enough time because I honestly just couldn't afford it. It is pretty, I mean, I'd rather probably buy a Rife machine than have to constantly keep on going to sessions because it is so expensive. The only reason I was able to do it is because of the grant. So it was an awesome experience to, uh, to have, but, um, yeah, it was, it was short lived. I hope to continue on Rife treatment again soon, but it was a cool experience to have. Is anybody going with you? What's your support system like? Do people go with you to help you manage the, just the sheer amount of information that is thrown at you at a doctor's visit or help you manage, you know, the symptoms that you're experiencing as a result of having these treatments? Yeah. So I've been, uh, together with my partner for about, it's going to be upcoming on six years now. So he's seen a lot of my struggles. He's, I mean, he basically, um, quit in his full-time job to be able to take care of me and to be able to be here for me and, you know, take me to doctor's appointments to be able to be here in case I need an emergency hospital visit because none of my family is uh, too close to me around here. So he's really the only one I have. So he's really like really been there for me, really stepped up. And honestly, I don't know where I would be without him because he, picks up a lot of my slack when I'm not able to. And when I'm at the appointments, you know, if I can't retain information or I'm just not there, he's able to get it all or I'll, you know, video camera it for my vlogs as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, that support alone is just amazing in trying to continue to fight and wake up every day and wanting to fight because, I know a lot of people, it's hard to even wake up and want to even have the will or drive to fight, you know, without a support system. So I am very uh, thankful for that. It's, it's so important. I can't imagine having, you know, I'm the parent of a young person um, who's really kind of stepping into her own independence and financial independence and the, everything that comes along with that. If to do that in addition to all the medical and to do medical independence. You know, I don't really personally believe that anybody should have to do that. I've gone on appointments with family members just to take notes. Non, non, like this is cancer or other, you know, health issues yeah. because no one I think has it 
completely in, together enough to handle all the different things that we have yeah. to handle when you're dealing with all these different things. And especially with Lyme, because there's so much of it, that's a team approach. You know, you're building your team of doctors and your team of holistic practices and, you know, your acupuncturists and your massage therapists. There's so many different people that can be involved in your care and managing all that can be completely overwhelming. So to have someone oh. in your corner and just partnering with you and holding you up on those days that it's hard. Uh, is that, you know, is that kind of where you find your peace in this or is there someplace else that you turn to, to find peace in this process? Um, yeah, honestly, that is my peace because it gives me a will and drive to, you know, want to be healthy and want to be normal and want to be able to create a family and want to have my own stability in home. You know, it makes me want to have my own life and future with someone that really deeply cares and loves about me. And um, I mean, besides that, I do find uh, other outlets and stuff that help me kind of like just escape reality sometimes because I do love being a realist. I love being as realistic and honest about things as I can. But at the same time, it can be really emotionally heavy as well. So I have like, you know, things like video games and childish things like that I like to do that just kind of escape reality for a while. Yeah, definitely. And I know before Rich, you jump back in another similarity that you have with my daughter is that you're both entrepreneurial. Like you, you're <laughs> both kind of looking at your life in terms of, okay, this is what I'm dealing with and that's yeah. my reality, but what can I do to take that and turn it into something that is a good thing, something that can yeah. support me. And so for her, it's through her photography and that gives her not only a creative outlet, but a way to work around what her body needs. So she can work when she can work and she can rest when she needs to rest. And I see that so similar with you, with this new branding that you're doing that yeah. will give you, like you said, the financial independence, hopefully to afford these treatments, to spread awareness, to do advocacy, but also, you know, pouring your, your talents and your time into something that yeah. is, is more bigger than you, you know, like this community is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than rich. Like we're reaching people through our stories and through our yeah. branding. And so I just, I, I wish you all the best in that because yeah. I know having that in your life as a drive is something that motivates you, but also gives you financial stability. It, it makes a huge difference in yeah. getting up each day and, and having something to look forward to and a drive and a plan and a purpose. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually given me so much like more drive because there's been a period like of this past year finding my diagnosis and just trying to deal with even, you know, wanting to get up or wanting to do something or, you know, enjoying the things I once enjoyed before weren't enjoyable. So the fact like everything just even all this with Lyme and just give me a new purpose to kind of want to wake up in the morning, even though it's kind of like depressing, it also gives me a reason to, you know, want to keep going and have that strength. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Samantha. So I, I really enjoyed your questionnaire. And one of the things that I really loved about your questionnaire is um, you, you had a line that said, I may have lost a lot with Lyme, but I've gained so much more. So talk to us about what you've learned about yourself and what you've learned about your purpose through this Lyme disease journey. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's nothing but the truth is that I've gained so much from Lyme and Honestly, I wouldn't like, I'm, I wouldn't take it back. I wouldn't take back, uh, this illness because again, it's taught me so much more in life than I think I would have ever known if I was 
not sick. If I was not sick, I would have kind of just worried about the more materialistic things in life, worried about like TV shows and kind of like my generation of things. They kind of just worry about just so much things that are, are irrelevant in the world right now. The world could end tomorrow and nobody would care. But um, yeah, basically Lyme just gave me a purpose and and a reason in life to, I mean, even though it flipped my life all around, it just completely changed my course. And the thing is, again, I wouldn't change it because it sent me down a path of learning and teaching and appreciating life so much more and just opening my eyes to a million other things that I wouldn't have known or learned about. So that is why I am honestly thankful of knowing and having this illness because again I wouldn't have known half the stuff I know now and I'm glad of being more educated more knowledgeable in life than I would want anything else you know so now talk to us about what you've learned about you meaning what gifts you have what talents you have what God created in you that you would not have discovered certainly at this stage in your life had you not gone through all the suffering that you went through with these with this Lyme disease journey yeah, so it's crazy because growing up, I honestly always felt like there was something wrong with me because I felt like I had no talents. Like everyone else had this talent. They could do this. They could do that. I'm like, there's something wrong with me. I don't have a talent. And now I feel like with Lyme and having this diagnosis and realization that all my talents are coming to light now that I have nothing, I can't work. I can't do anything. I felt like I was pretty much worthless. And this is when my talents came out more than ever. My creativity, my um, artisticness. I was like, I've been able to make vlogs, make YouTube videos, make uh, flyers, uh, start this uh, clothing line, which I've had in my head since, you know, being a child, I've always wanted to do something like this, but I just never knew like, what would I do? Why would I do it? Now I have a reason and a purpose of more, much more, you know, than me and than us to actually want to do something more. <laughs> so let's talk about each one of those things you gave us the list on, because I wanted to get to that. So let's first talk about what inspired you to do the work you're doing on YouTube and how that work has helped you to explore and understand your God-given artistic talents. Yeah. So at first I did the YouTube videos originally just to try to raise money and uh, raise for treatment costs and testing costs of the IGNX and stuff like that. But then um, when I wasn't, I didn't get around to making the actual video and editing it for a whole, almost two years later, I realized, you know, that was out the window. All this stuff had already happened. And um, basically I just wanted to create the, YouTube vlogs and YouTube videos, um, just to kind of be a raw footage of to show, because again, people are barely finding out now more than ever that they have Lyme disease and they're, and I have a feeling in the next coming up years, it's going to be coming out more and more and more. And I kind of just wanted to have a raw series of what everyone has to kind of go through. Obviously everyone's different, but the basic generic story of what people have to go through through treatment because I know when I first uh, started I was so lost I didn't understand what Lyme was there's you know one side of the story another side uh, where to go what doctors to go what treatments to go it's all so confusing because so I just wanted to have a series of videos to kind of go through and show people um, 
the kind of things that are available out there and also to show my mistakes that I have made. So maybe it can help someone else to kind of learn from my own mistakes and to kind of have an easier way in their journey. <laughs> so in addition to your YouTube videos, um, you've also uh, you've also done a great deal of vlogging, right? And, and so what's the crossover between the vlogging where you're trying to capture the entirety of your treatment journey and the YouTube videos that you're, that you're uh, producing so that you can help people have a shorter diagnostic and treatment journey? Yeah, so um, I had actually started YouTube because I had originally wanted to do like gaming content and stuff like that. And now I had, again, recently changed everything because, again, my new passion is not necessarily like more of the things that are just my hobbies or materialistic. Now, my passion is really just health and illness and, you know, the root causes of things and how a lot of people are sick in this world and just go undiagnosed. Um, but yeah for my plan now is the vlogs uh, set from the YouTube videos. I'll have a lot more. Um, I have so much videos that aren't even out yet, but I have a lot more YouTube videos that are more going to be about awareness in general, like what is Lyme, what is chronic illness, um, just explaining more uh, things on the actual awareness of Lyme and the corruption about it and the important importance of it. And then my vlogs are kind of going to be more of the raw uh, footage of actual treatment and going into more details on exactly what medications um, I'm going to be getting and kind of helping people understand every certain medication, every certain treatment plan, and just a deeper dive on the actual like live of it. So let's talk a little bit more about the uh, Squishy Sam site that you created and your, your entrepreneurial spirit that has been triggered by this Lyme disease journey. Um, now you, you've, already, you've already shared with us that you're starting a clothing line, uh, clothing line, I can say that word, mm -hmm. and, uh, and you wanted to build out these capes for people so they can step into this superhero um, mindset that's necessary to not only help themselves, but help other people on Lyme disease journey. But you also had a, you also used some treatments here that were certainly in the, in the recent past, not conventional that you're also going to be building out on the site. So talk to us about your use of CBD and marijuana and that, how that has been helpful to you on your uh, healing journey. Yeah. So definitely I have to contribute the fact that uh, cannabis has definitely kept me going and my immune system strong in this entire fight. Um, I noticed that uh, I started I started using cannabis at a very young age, around the time that I did initially get sick. And uh, now I realize it's because I probably was dealing with a lot more than I had realized. But um, and you were yeah, self-medicating. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of it was more for mental than it was physical because a lot of physical I can handle, but again, mental will tear people apart. And uh, I feel like the cannabis really helped me to feel somewhat normal and somewhat the fact like, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. And aside from the fact now I realize that it has been helpful physically as well, because my immune system um, is really strong. Even though I had developed the autoimmunity, a lot of my natural killer cells are 
super like through the roof and super high when a lot of the times in Lyme, uh, Lyme disease patients are super low. Um, and so all of my immune system cells are fighting and I really give contribute to uh, cannabis and CBD because at first that was the only medication and treatment I was using for probably the first 13 years of going through this illness. And again, it's been um, a struggle because especially with going to hospitals and doctors and using cannabis, they kind of dismissed me even more. They gave me the CHS syndrome and they just uh, use that as a way to dismiss my Lyme disease as well. But um, at the same time, it was very helpful for me to be able to even eat when I was nauseous. I used to be so nauseous. I couldn't eat. And when I did eat, I would throw it back up. I would have a gastroparesis and it would just be completely awful in hospital visits. And it wasn't until I started using cannabis every day that my hospital visits started slowing down. I was able to eat, I was able to regulate and it just made life uh, a lot more easier. And it's not that I'm dependent. I can, you know, go without it, but it's, it has been um, very helpful in my health so far. So a lot of the current research is showing that um, these cannabis products and CBD in particular are anti-inflammatory and they help with mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the inflammation that is a part of, uh, of Lyme disease. Uh, but also it sounds to me that the, a lot of the medical trauma that you suffered and some of the trauma that you suffered as a result of, um, of having um, these gut issues were, were also offset by the use of these um, cannabis products. Now, of course, you were you when you were using these products in the past, you were you were being dismissed, right? You were being criticized for using these products. And now, of course, we've had a sea change, not just in the Lyme community, but in but in the medical community generally in the use of these products and the impact that it's having on the endocannabinoid system and the impact that it's having on inflammation. Now, is that what's driving you to try to on your on your website and, and on uh, as part of your entrepreneurial offerings to give people more information on the, uh, the, the benefits of these um, cannabis products and the impact that uh, it will have on inflammation and calming down the endocannabinoid system. Yeah, so um, actually like I, I have so much so many things I'm doing now, but I have so many more plans that I have for the future as well. And one of those things is that on my website, I do show coming soon is the candy shop. That's eventually something that I want to have going and that's an idea. But um, basically it is for eventually, I wanna be fully licensed to be able to grow cannabis and, and to be able to distribute it. But um, yeah, basically with cannabis, it is hard too because it is very healing treatment, but at the same time, a lot of people um, don't do it right. They you know smoke a little J or a blunt or something and they think that all the problems will go away, all the arthritis will go away or something. And when it doesn't, they just give up on it and that's it. Um, basically, I want to eventually have my own business and my own uh, cannabis line of completely organic cannabis that's grown organically because a lot of people don't understand that a lot of the cannabis nowadays is like filled with mold and filled with toxins that 
it's just like our food. Like you don't know what they're growing with. You don't know what soil they're using, what water they're using, the microbes they're using. There's a lot of things that go into uh, cannabis as well. And that's also what I want to do in future is to be able to grow completely organic and healthy down from the water to the soil to everything. So people can actually get the most medicinal benefits from cannabis and not just getting toxins and maybe 1% of a benefit that's not going to do much. So uh, I think it is important. And eventually that is what I'm going to do down the line is a lot of cannabis education because there's a lot of misinformation, just like Lyme. And there is a lot of education that goes behind it, that there's a lot of uh, learning to do that's worth it. <laughs> so Sam, I'm going to ask you the last question. We ask everybody on the Think We Can podcast. If God forbid, uh, the man who's been so wonderful in your life and has been so supportive of you during the course of this uh, journey you've been on, um, your partner came into this, came into your room right after the podcast and he had a tick biting him on his leg. What would you recommend that he do so he wouldn't have to go on a difficult Lyme disease journey? Oh man, that is definitely the hardest question. I, I keep thinking about this question. It's like, what am I going to say? I... <laughs> Um, honestly, it is hard to just have a simple answer for that question. Cause you can say the right things. Oh, you know, I'm going to take the tick off. I'm going to get it tested. I'm going to go on my antibiotic course and stuff like that. But again, everyone is so bio individual. It's kind of hard to tell, but I feel like personally, what I would do is of course, get the tick tested because that way is the easiest to know what pathogens you're dealing with, especially if they have something that's not, you know, the three B's that are usual, but something else that could be picked up. Um, definitely get the tick tested and then obviously remove it as, oh, is this gone? Sorry, I'm a low power mode. Um, then obviously try to remove it as safely as possible. Definitely not with a hot needle like my parents did. Uh, definitely probably use uh, tweezers. I know there's different ways of removing it. That's the best. Um, and then what I would honestly do is immediately start like detoxing, immediately start some kind of uh, herbal medication. Even me here, I have tons of stuff like supplements and herbals and stuff that would be supportive. Immediately start, I would immediately start on immune support on detoxing to try to get the pathogens to get out of the blood as quickly as possible. Cause we can't ignore the fact that it, people will get instantly sick. It's not a matter of, you know, oh, 24 hours it's attached or this and that you can be sick as, as soon as it bites you. So, uh, action to me is immediate. And so, of course, doing the drainage and detoxing first for me would be the most important. And then, of course, getting him to an integrative doctor to be able to do testing and to be able to get on a right form of treatment, whether or not that be antibiotic treatment or another kind of uh, treatment. Again, it's hard to say when everyone is so uh, bio-individual. So, Samantha Chicano, also known as Squishy Sam, thank you for joining us on the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Samantha Chicano. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Samantha Chicano, please visit her Instagram page at squishy underscore Sam, S-A-M-M, or her website at squishyscam.com. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, 
Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, on social media, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews that you share with us. Thank you for listening.